0: hello and welcome to another sports next door podcast my name is owen today is monday february 27th almost the end of february and i am joined as i always am by my neighbor max how's it going my friend
1: uh somewhere in the middle of a triangle of sleep deprivation euphoria and despair as we made the breathtaking discovery moments ago before going live that i have spent the last eight months speaking into the wrong direction of my microphone um better late than never but i might not be able to scoff quite so hard anymore uh when i hear the read the manual instruction i seriously don't know how i got this backwards i am also very much rethinking my too stupidly terrible or terribly stupid for what i had originally lined up with that yep or the fact that Siri just picked up the seriously and uh, tried to get involved. Um,
0: There's a lot going on. I think I got the uh, the name of the episode for this one already.
1: Let's hear it. The
0: Burmaxta Triangle.
1: Well, we'll put it under consideration. Um, <laughs> I, I do still want to get at this topic for a couple minutes. Have you ever heard the name Jonathan Haidt before? No. So he is a social psychologist that I believe works at Yale. He has some Harvard experience, like kind of top credentials. And he's basically dedicated the last 10 years uh, to looking at the effect um, social media has had on teen mental health. He's like done the TED talk, been like in published all the places, uh, I think written multiple books on this and He's now got a substack coming out um, further, like working on his next book. Um, But it's a topic he's been talking about kind of ahead of the trend. So he was not at all surprised in the past week or two weeks when the American Center for Disease Control uh, released their latest findings that were essentially saying uh, we're living in a mental health epidemic for teens. Uh, like reports of sadness at an all-time high, Uh, suicide attempts and successful carryouts have risen above the peak of the 90s. Uh, So he's not been taking a victory lap, more of an I told you so, will you listen to me seriously now? Uh, This one's a little morbidly funny i find uh, not everyone on board with height there's a journalist for the washington post named uh, taylor lorenz who was previously in the headlines for very much floating and touting journalist ethics which uh, we won't go into uh, but somewhat of a controversial figure uh, so when the news that about uh these findings were released she said tweeted People are like, why are kids so depressed? It must be their phones, uh, getting at heights theory, but never mention the fact that we're living in a late stage capitalist hellscape during an ongoing deadly pandemic with record wealth inequality, zero social safety net, job security as climate change cooks the world, not to be a doomer, but you have to be delusional to look at life in our country right now and have any amount of hope or optimism. So, oh, is it terribly stupid or stupidly terrible that this doomer take Uh, went viral on social media and completely vindicated Heights' claims about how social media just amplifies negativity and worsens mental health.
0: I'm going to take the really depressed approach and perspective on this and say that it's stupidly terrible because it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Because he's right and she's right and because she's right, he's right again. And the world kind of (laughs) sucks. That's just what you learn. And and you look around at all those things you just mentioned in your Doomer post and uh, a, along the lines of what Height has been saying, you just look at TikTok and you see what gets put there. It's endless, endless crap that just numbs the mind, exposes youth to just crap, and then also expects them to be a different version of themselves and And there's there's no question that it amplifies everything that people strive to be, but not everyone can be that person who is famous on TikTok or famous in this platform or doing this or having this success. And and there's a lot of stress stress and pressure that's get put on the youth and then into obviously like university students where we see the pressure as well. And all that leads into where we're kind of at right now, stepping out of school into a world where Jobs are tough to come by, inflation's high, climate change, like uh, lots of social and gender inequity. And I mean, I'm listing all the things that she's just listing, but because of social media, we've become more aware of all of these things that have been problems that have been pushed to the side for so long. So um, you're you're opening up that gateway to take in even more information that's going to depress you. Because uh, now I can read a newspaper from China, or I can new- read a newspaper that's covering stories that we just we never would have known existed if there wasn't cameras to capture it, or so on and so forth. So, stupidly terrible is my take because it's just outright terrible,
1: not just stupidly terrible. <laughs> terrible things all around going on in the world, uh, except on the sports screen this past week. Oh, so. With that out of the way, let's get into our regular scheduled podcast programming. Uh, you've had a busy week.
0: Yeah, we'll just turn off the uh, turn off the television, turn on Sports Then Now or TSM Plus or whatever your method of viewership is and just try to escape because there was lots of fantastic sports content this weekend. We're not going to talk about college basketball. Uh, we're not going to talk about the j Paul-Tommy Fury fight, uh, two big events uh, from the weekend and some craziness there. Um, but I think, Max, we should really start at the biggest thing that will be buzzing here north of the border, uh, in in the most popular sport here north of the border, as the Toronto Maple Leafs continue to push their chips into the middle of the table. Uh, feels very reminiscent of the 2015 Toronto Blue Jays where they make, went out and made two really significant trades to bolster their lineup in different places. That Blue Jays team made it to the American League Championship Series, uh, which was a successful season, but I think there could have been more there. And you look around with Garnet Hathaway and Dimitri Orlov going to the Boston Bruins, Tanner Janot headed to the Tampa Bay Lightning, Of course, Timo Meyer headed to the New Jersey Devils as of yesterday in a trade that involved way too many names to keep track of. The Leafs sit there with Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari, and Dubas says it's not enough. And this is the team where the window is well and truly open. You're near now the end of O'Reilly and Tavares' primes. You're right in the middle of your core's prime, or even the slight beginning, like we're just about to hit the middle of their primes. And so this is it. And once again, they give up a conditional first. They give up a second. They give up uh, Joey Anderson, who, I mean, you're not going to miss Joey Anderson. And in return, you go and you get uh, Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe a big body defenseman who's going to bolster their back end and give them a little bit more of that grit that they're going to need against these big bullies in the Eastern Conference. And Sam Lafferty, very much like Enola Chari, is a very productive bottom-six player and gives them another option to go to, uh, to roll and and provide some depth and provide some oomph. And they didn't have to give up anything from their current lineup, which when you're a contender... Is what's just going to continue to make you better. All of these picks are going to hurt when we don't have them, but it's not going to feel like anything at all if this team manages to have a play- deep playoff run. No one is going to care about the picks if they even just get past the first round. Like, it just has to get done this year. And so, again, I'm I'm all the way behind Dubis's moves. Um, McCabe is a guy who's going to be here this year. Next year, and the year after that, at two million bucks, so we can kiss Justin Hall goodbye at the end of this year, which makes sense, um, and and just adds that, like I said, important toughness element. Um, and, and Max, I want to hear your thoughts on it, but I just I continue to be so excited by what the Leafs are doing and what they've committed to this season.
1: Yeah, I mostly agree with everything you said, and we'll just add some more rather than contradicting anything. I, I, as much as we put on our clown makeup and bemoan the curse that is the Toronto Maple Leafs, if you look at what deep has constituted deep team building for deep playoff success, um, it's taken some time for the Tampa Bay Lightning, for the Colorado Avalanche for the st louis blues when they won their cup but definitely for the washington capitals when they won theirs the pittsburgh penguins both their windows uh, all came years after their big swings and home runs in the lottery draft Uh, years of figuring out the players identities what pieces they need to put around them and as you said i think that is the window that the toronto maple leafs are starting to hit um we've run this first round experiment over and over and over again and something is missing and you've got to keep trying in this year especially because as the window on some of our older players close we don't know what our chances look like in the future it's not now or never but the now certainly matters And the East is in a nuclear arms race at the moment, as you alluded to. Uh, Also rumors that the Rangers who picked up Tarasenko are looking to grab Patrick Kane. No?
0: Yeah, so you know know what the full story is there, is that Patrick Kane went to the Blackhawks because he has the no-move clause and says, I'm only going to go to the New York Rangers. So it's basically a matter of them figuring out the price now that he wants to only go to New York so those two teams just basically have to figure out what the trade is going to look like Um, it's tough with his salary of course so I think a third team needs to be involved to double retain but yeah it's going to be the Rangers or no one and so we'll just see when that happens because I think what trade deadline is Friday
1: Yeah, and then uh, Jacob Chichurin and Eric Carlson, two other names, I think at this point, Chichurin seeming more likely than Carlson. Uh, But what you said about the salary, I want to circle back to the Maple Leafs and say that's the other reason I'm okay parting with these picks, because we are getting value in this salary retained and the fact that with McCabe we're getting it over multiple years. Mm I'm willing to give up a bit more draft capital if it lets us like stack and condense an even denser and stronger roster because that's what we're gonna fucking need. Yeah. Whoever we're up against in the first round, and especially if we can make it to a second round or even deeper, uh, I'm all for it. Like, of course, as the Leafs get better, the East just gets better and more competitive. Um, but. It, it should be fantastic playoff hockey and I will have our wrap up on all the trade deadline madness that I'm sure is to come in this coming week, though there's clearly been plenty of it already, uh, but we're gearing up for a really fascinating end to the hockey season especially in the east we talked touched last episode on what that wild card race looks like between seven teams so expect some of them to try and get more involved in the trade market as well and it's going to make for some really interesting three rounds of playoff hockey in the eastern conference 100 percent, right we've heard from boston we've heard from tampa we've heard from toronto we've heard from new jersey we've heard from
0: the islanders we haven't have heard from the Hurricanes, so I sense a move coming there. We've heard I, from the Rangers on the Tarasenko, and they might be in on Kane. So really, there's like seven of eight playoff teams yeah. that have made moves in an attempt to bolster, and they're all in the same conference.
1: Like you said, it's going to be an absolute war. I heard the Hurricanes were in on Meyer. Uh, They obviously don't get him, so looking to see them try and recoup. And looking at teams like the Senators, uh, the Penguins, who are looking around and hoping to edge that last spot as well. Fascinating stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not to be outdone, however, by the NBA, which Max is back in a big way after the all-star break, everyone had that time off and the stars came out to shine and the teams came out ready for this stretch run of the season. Uh, Since basically like Thursday, when when it came back uh, the Raptors went two and one Boucher dunked from the free throw line. Uh, The Sacramento Kings beat the Los Angeles Clippers Clippers 176 to 175 in double overtime, the third-highest scoring game in NBA history. De'Aaron Fox with 42 in that game. The Kings have one of the harder strength of schedules left for the rest of the season, but they have taken care of business now in three consecutive games as they look to just pad their lead over that plethora of tightly condensed teams between 4 and 13 in the Western Conference. The Celtics and Sixers go down to the wire uh, the Philly crowd was pretty awesome. Uh, there was a stretch there with about a minute 50 left where Embiid uh, blocks Jalen Brown inside after scoring on the other end, and then Tyrese Maxey in transition scores to put the Sixers up by one. Uh, but in the end, Jason Tatum hits the game winning three. Embiid on the inbound launches a basically a full court shot that hits, but he had released the ball just after the buzzer had expired. <laughs> Uh, that would have been nuts and, and would have been a really fun overtime. But uh, it just, I mean, other podcasts have mentioned this, but the Celtics really, when they went to a lineup that sped up the game, and we saw this from the Sixers in the past, is like the Raptors were able to get out and run against some the Nets were able to spread them out in spall ball. Um, they really struggle against teams that push the pace, which is surprising when you've got a guy like Tyrese Maxey But you look at the rest of that lineup and they want to move more slowly. Yeah.
1: And and being hardened, they're not gonna
0: match that. And even Tobias Harris, like, yeah, it's yeah. It's so that's kind of where the Sixers struggle and and the Celtics went to their top five, which I think actually ended up being less effective in the game, but they did get enough boost. Like Derek White has been phenomenal now for about two months. He was plus twenty three yeah. in a game. They won by a three. Like really, really good.
1: There was too much going on for us to touch on it. But what the Celtics have managed with like the amount of roster injuries they've had has been absurd. Uh, they had a game against the Bucks, who were on an eleven games win streak, with no Smart, no Tatum, no Brown, no Horford. I feel like there's one more starter I'm, I might, st- or one more player Maybe I Rob might still Williams. be missing. <laughs> uh i think he was in but like he's still on limited restricted minutes and you they didn't haven't really had
0: gallinari all season
1: yeah and they still send that game to ot and mm. like it, it is i don't know if it like roster depth comes playoff is necessarily one plus one equals two the fact of the matter is most teams probably aren't going much deeper than eight nine ten um mm. uh, but at the very least you know you have a much better chance of weathering a serious injury no they've been great and then on that point
0: just shouting out drew holiday um the bucks beating a depleted celtics team and depleted suns team in their most recent games but drew holiday has been absolutely clamps in in both of those games game changing plays on the defensive end uh and and I got to say, I wasn't in on him as an all-star, even though I understand the rationale. But it's going to be tough to keep him off that all-NBA team uh, ballot because of just the different all-star. You usually lean towards the offensive players, but all-NBA is definitely more for the all-around type of player. And and Drew Holiday, for sure, is is just peak of his powers right now defensively. It's been really, really cool to see.
1: We're gonna look back on this trade the Bucks made for him as one of the best ones made in the past mm-hmm. five ten. Just in terms of that, yeah, s- not insignificant piece, but that thing that takes you over the edge, over the hump, yeah. which
0: seemed like an overpay at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah we yeah. it it was by no means clear that uh, this was the type of payoff you could speculate. Yeah, yeah.
0: Next game, uh, not necessarily a, a close game, but the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, host the Denver Nuggets and wallop them by about thirty. It was a thirty-five point game at one point, and and I think if you're Denver, you just bury the game tape on that because their offense didn't look terrible, but every time Memphis touched the ball, it was a driving kick three. It was some sort of scramble just led to someone being wide open. Like they just could not stop scoring in that game. They were lighting it up. Morant was getting everything he wanted in the paint. And if you're Denver, you're a little bit worried about how that game went just simply because of the ease of which Memphis was scoring in all facets of the game. But definitely seemed like one of those games where just one team had it and the other didn't at night because then Jokic turns around and puts up 40, 17, and 10. Uh, and, and the Nuggets beat the Clippers in overtime. Clippers, a couple of tough losses in double OT and OT,
1: even though Kawhi has been back to the peak of his powers. The man might actually pull off the MVP 3 beat, which seemed like a ludicrous take at the start of the season, but it, yeah. he seems to have as good a chance as anyone at this point in time. It's just the pure consistency, right? They think they have 49 wins now on the season,
0: or for, uh, 43 mm-hmm. wins 43, now? 43, yeah. Yeah. But one seed plus him being out of this world uh, stat-wise, it's just it's hard to to pick against him. Next couple games here, Trey Young hits a buzzer-beating game winner against the Brooklyn Nets, who have lost a couple tough ones recently. And then the game yesterday, uh, Los Angeles Lakers and Dallas Mavericks. The Lakers had a couple wins against weaker teams. They go into Dallas against Luka and Kyrie and fall down by as much as 17 points in that game. Or I think as much as 26 in the first half. And they have their largest comeback since 2019. They piece it together. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt completely has changed the complexion of this defense almost by himself, being able to guard Luka, but then also flying around in, tr- in rotation along with Malik Beasley. Uh, Even D'Angelo Russell, at least, is like throwing himself. He's at least competing a little bit more than he was in Minnesota. But then Austin Reeves and Dennis Schroeder are, are not pylons out there on the floor. And then Anthony Davis turned back the clock. And so this defense actually looked like something legit. It looked a little bit like the bubble Lakers, where you had that paint protector, and then you had two and a half decent perimeter guys competing and and funneling towards ad and they made dallas work and forced a lot of turnovers especially late on an inbounds pass where Kyrie luka had a bit of miscommunication that dallas team really like has to look in the mirror they they just don't have it this year compared to last year and uh, on the other end Ad imposed himself on the offensive glass. Two really big rebounds. Vanderbilt as well in there, just tapping away loose balls, getting extra possessions for the Lakers. They just the energy and intensity that they had missed the last year and a half is is here with some of these new role players that they brought in, uh, and they get the big comeback win. And but at what they're cost? 0 since the break. Yeah, I know. At what cost? And initially, I had put this in at the as fatigue piece for AD and LeBron, but then LeBron and uh, actually me have the same injury right now. Looks like a <laughs> jam the foot, probably an eversion sprain on the inside. That's kind of what the mechanism of injury looked like. And so for me, I think my timeline is probably about three weeks. I'd say the same for LeBron if he's trying to accelerate it but it's going to be nice and swollen and sore on the inside of that foot. Uh, Not much you can really do to heal it quickly. You just got to immobilize it for a couple of days and then really work on getting that range of motion and strength back. Um, It's a tough one for the Lakers and tough one for him, but that's what's going to happen when you're in year 20 and you're trying to push this final stretch of the season. So Yeah, he's going to miss a couple weeks here and and that could really hurt their chances. I think if you're the Lakers, you just try to sneak into a 10 seed, make sure LeBron's
1: fully healthy and then let the chips fall to where they may in the playing game. Yeah, I, I was able to catch the Lakers at the start of this week playing against the Warriors where a couple remarkable things happened. LeBron James and Anthony Davis had subpar games and... The Lakers were able to play eight garbage time minutes Um, like two things you could not say in the same sentence uh, anytime really in the past couple of years Uh, the return to the bubble team that you're getting is just this is now an NBA roster with talent um, up and down the rotation and past the starting five uh, that is able to be on the court carry far more of the load so this injury is is not the death sentence that it would have been a month ago it's still going to be an uphill climb for the Lakers I don't like their playoff chances if one or both of their superstars get injured which based on past history is honestly quite likely Uh, but we can throw out most of the book that uh, we've been using to call the Lakers for the past two years for i'm hoping next week to do a little trade deadline uh retrospect and see about two and a half weeks in how things are working out and the lakers certainly seem like one of the biggest winners so far
0: yeah i don't even know if we can do that until kd's finally back but (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, we'll see we'll see
1: there's still more Yeah,
0: and then really, I I mean, I already mentioned the Nuggets Clippers OT. forgot to mention that Paul George almost tied that game with a three-quarter court shot of his own that was just released after the buzzer. Crazy that him and Embiid both had those after all the buzzer beaters we saw in college basketball this weekend. And then capped off with just a chef's kiss, Damian Lillard, 71 points, the second 70-point performance of the season. It makes you really think that those Kobe and Wilt games are within striking distance for someone. 84 doesn't seem out of the realm of the possibility when we've had two guys score 71 this season. Of course it was against the helpless and futile Houston Rockets defense. uh, But Damian Lillard has been awesome this year and the Blazers just simply haven't done enough. Like, where were they when Jared Vanderbilt was available for the Utah Jazz for not a steep price? That would have been the perfect player to put on this team. Uh, and they just they haven't done enough. And in fact, they even sent Josh Hart out the door, who has instantly been awesome for the New York Knicks, who are on a roll, by the way. I cannot wait to watch more games at the Garden. As, as this season comes to a close, the energy there has been electric. We might have Bing Bong back <laughs> for the New York Knicks but just a really, really fun week in the NBA. And I think it's just going to keep on rolling as we get tighter and tighter here towards the end of the season. A lot of teams playing for legitimate positions in their respective conferences. And I think we'll see some teams start to pull the parachute on the tanking. If they haven't already, we've got those four bottom teams, Charlotte, Detroit, San Antonio, and, uh, and Houston, but, It'll be interesting to see Orlando, Indiana, OKC, um, even like Brooklyn or Utah or any of them going to try and fall into, the, into this pack. Um, so many storylines left to go. So uh, yeah, just such a treat watching the NBA these last week or so and, and into the next couple weeks.
1: All right, next up. I'm excited to hear your opinion on baseball, though. Um, this new pitch clock rule caught my eye uh the mlb has not been putting its head in the sand uh with the complaints about the game and the way it's been trending in the past few years and this coming season they're really trying to address it and make the game more exciting
0: yeah a couple different rules we'll talk the pitch clock in in just a sec here i also wanted to shout out the pickoff rule so pitchers can now only attempt a pick off twice per at-bat. So when someone's on base, they can't just throw over every time, and, and it'll make probably more likely for stolen bases, which is exciting. And then they actually increase the base size by like some specific measurement that was a third of an inch or whatever. Uh, so it doesn't feel like a lot, but in baseball, the inches are quite important, and so that, that does shrink the distance between bases as well. That along with the new pickoff rules should lead to some more stealing. Just add, uh, add the excitement back to small ball. They have taken out the shift. You now must have two infielders per side of the dime per side of second base. Uh, so we won't see three infielders on one side. We won't get to see those weird shifts, which will be intriguing. All of these things to increase offense. Which, funny enough, if there's more offense in a game, usually it means the game actually goes longer. <laughs> And so to combat that, the pitch clock. No runners on base. Pitcher has 20 seconds to deliver a pitch or start the delivery of a pitch. Uh, otherwise, the batter is granted a ball on the, on the, on the count. I thought it, it's 20, not 15. Uh, 15 with runners on base. Okay. And then on the other side, the batter has eight seconds to be in the batter's box. Otherwise, they are granted a strike. And that one is way more intriguing, I think, than even the pitch clock. Uh, The pitchers have already been pretty good about being quick to the mound with their decision, et cetera, et cetera. But the batters have got to learn very quickly that they need to be in the box. Some of the batters love taking their sweet time in between pitches, especially strikes, to regroup themselves. And we saw it right away in the first weekend of the season. Bases loaded one run game or tie game and a strike three is called because he's not ready in the batter's box and the game ends in a tie because it's spring training Uh, but instantly you get the uproar of that saying oh this is ruining the game blah 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 to an extent I agree and maybe we can revisit the conversation of the pitch clock maybe taking it out in the ninth inning or the last three innings?
1: Well, what I like about it uh, when it was described to me is it means the super reliever who doesn't have to throw that many pitches but guarantees they're all gonna be like the most efficient lights out pitching you can try and guarantee yourself with is gonna have a little less time in between pitches, be a little less fresh and get a little less of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to touch on the other thing about the shifting the type of offense it's encouraging is less swing for the fences, home run hitting, and more hitting to try and get on bases, uh, which also sounded intriguing and exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Always good to have more balls in play. That's, uh
0: definitely makes for a more exciting product, which has gone away from the league in the last couple of years. I mentioned the adding, like, taking away the pitch clock for the last three innings. I think you could revisit that. But for this year, don't go back on the decision. Ride it out. The good and the bad. Learn from it. It's just different. And I think it's going to lead to some pretty interesting subplots. As we go through the season in 162 games for all of these different teams, there's going to be so many situations where that happens and i just hope the blue jays don't get killed by it that's all i'm gonna say because i think they've got a great team this year
1: certainly a good season to collect plenty of data um so as we move on to tennis here two kind of spectacular runs were catching my eye and we don't touch on the wta ever really on this spot i've been leaving that space for owen seems disinclined um but Iga Swasek was doing ridiculous things in Dubai this week. I don't know if you heard any of it, Uh, but she basically made her way to the finals dropping like eight, nine games, uh, baggling opponents left and right. And uh, she has been the player who seemed most likely to be on the precipice of greatness. There's so many fantastic exciting promising things about her and what she's accomplished so far in such a young career and she just she seems to have that potential to be that superstar where the casuals Get their attention because they love winners. They love their Conor McGregor's their Ronda Rousey's their Serena Williams their Roger Federer's There's a reason Novak Djokovic has had a huge surge in public popularity over the past few years And that's because the world has finally figured out that this man is a bigger winner uh, than the two that came before him and Iga we saw hints of it with Osaka Ash Barty had that in her game, but she didn't really have the something, the X factor, the the something was missing for that. um, And the mental health burnout, obviously prevalent there. Uh, So with all this hype riding on Swashik's run to the finals, uh, of course she goes and loses. uh, So we do have to just take a moment and shout out her opponent, Barbara Cry. I'm not gonna try and pronounce that. Uh, but she had a ridiculous run against, uh, like, Krashakova, against uh, just incredibly tough top-seeded opponents all the way down, and uh, taking out Swachika in the finals is beyond cherry on the cake, so shout out to her. The other ridiculous run came from one Andy Murray, who is still hanging on. Uh, by the ghost of his hip um he's saving like match points in multiple games along the way a lot of three setters so probably no surprise that he ends up dropping the final to daniel medvedev uh who wins his second tournament in as many weeks uh, looking like he is back on the rise also this week in the ATP, Hubert Hurkacz gets on the title board in 2023, winning in Marseille. And uh, Cam Norrie gets revenge over Carlos Algaraz la- for last week in Argentina, winning this week's uh, South American clay event in Rio uh, for 500 points. So congrats to the two of them. Uh, and I guess It's not really wrapping up February so much as kicking off March. But we're going to have two 500-level events going on this week in Acapulco, Mexico. And uh, in Dubai, Novak Djokovic, world number one, playing in Dubai. Carlos Alcaraz, world number two, playing in Mexico. uh, As players gear up for the American 1000 Masters swing that dominates most of the headlines in March, this is a nice way to kick off the month. Uh, so looking forward to watching some of that, and getting after it. This as we go into that. Wow, there were a lot of notes, but we got through it all and have two minutes to spare. Crushed it. This week in awesome, Max and Owen's ever-improving <laughs> ability to podcast, and no, I, I can't pat myself on the back for the mic. Thing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, this week in awesome, Max's voice coming through in the silky, silky tone.
1: Although I do have to say, like it there was there have been one or two weeks where my voice has sounded almost good. And uh, the fact that I was able to somehow pull that off with a backwards mic is a little impressive. So There you have it. There you have it, folks. Well, It's been a fun one. It is a little later than we normally get after it, so I have some editing to get to. Uh, So without further ado, thank you everyone for listening. As always, Sports Next Door signing out.